Teaching Journey Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodian of the country and pay our respects to the elders past and emerging and recognizes their continuing connections to the land, waterways and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This episode was recorded on the Wurundjeri land. Hi everyone, I'm Dee, your host, and you are listening to Teaching Journey Podcast Connecting Through Early Education, Episode 16. In this episode, I sat down with Joanne Tan, who has been working in the sector for three years and is from Indonesia. We spoke about the concept of sense of belonging and the complexities as migrants to find a space of belonging in a new country and a new work environment. Joanne talks about how she feels to fit in and often feeling intimidated by her colleagues who are all white Anglo-Saxon Australians. She spoke about her journey of keeping her values and cultural identity close to her as she navigates herself into her teaching journey. For me personally, I resonate with the feelings that Joanne has described. And I have mentioned these feelings in the podcast before, but I just want to take this opportunity to also share the amazing diversity that migrants teachers bring into the community of learning. For those who don't know about me, I teach in the Masters of Teaching program in Melbourne Graduate School of Education in University of Melbourne. And one of the most common questions that I get from anxious students before going into placement is, can I speak my language to the children? And the surprise faces that I get in return when I say, yes, sing the songs that you knew from your childhood, bring in the books in your language and share your fable stories with children. And when I visit the students in the centre, it is so great to see that the students are being supported by their mental teachers and incorporating their cultural identity in the curriculum with young children. And know that the children who are in the environment are not only gaining knowledge and the connection with the language other than English, they are also observing how their teachers, which are the mental teachers in this context, scaffold, support, invite, being inclusive and respectful to others who are not of similar background. And one of the things I invite students and teachers to consider is that if you see cultural identity as home culture, and not from a different country culture, not Malaysian culture, not Indonesian culture, not Australian culture, then we are looking at the person as an individual. We are then making the connection and understanding of what makes them a person, an individual, their home culture, their personal values and their personal beliefs, and how we can embrace the individuality and create a sense of belonging to support the individual identity. And for me, that is what inclusion looks like. So I hope that when you listen to this podcast episode, consider your colleague or student in your centre. How can you build the connection and gain understanding of their identity? What are their values and cultural identity and how does this shape the teaching practices? How can you support them in finding their voice, sense of belonging and place in your workspace? And then to also consider what have you learned about yourself in this journey of making the connection with your colleague students? How have you incorporated that learnings into your everyday teaching practice? And how can you apply these perspectives into building a reciprocal relationships with children, families and the community? 
So here it is, episode 16 with Joanne Tan. Enjoy. Hi Joanne, thank you so much for joining us on Teaching Journey Podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here to share your stories with us. And for our listeners, could you introduce yourself and tell us why did you choose early childhood and what did it look like for you when you started in the early childhood sector? Uh, Heidi, nice meeting you here today. Uh, my name is Joanne. Mm, I had a background in psychology and a graduate diploma in early childhood. I chose uh, early child education because I'm very passionate with children from zero to three. <laughs> yeah, so I really like young toddlers. That's why I chose uh, early childhood in the beginning. Uh, when I first started my early childhood career, I cry a lot. I think I remember. <laughs> yeah, I cry a lot. It's not an easy mm. a job at the beginning. You know, you you just graduated from university. You know, you just start your you know adulting life, and then juggling with work, you know, just keep, you know, with uh, keeping up with work-life balance, definitely not easy. Yeah. Definitely. I struggled a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so did you, so when you graduated, um, did mm. you start working at a centre straight away or um, did you progress into like working casually perhaps? Yeah, so I actually did a placement in an amazing centre in Fitzroy. So uh, after my second placement, they actually offered me a casual position so I was working and studying at the same time which is good because you can relate a lot when you have you know uh, experience at the same time and then once I graduated I applied for another job but I didn't like it so I ended up going back to that Fitzroy Center and they offered me a teaching position so like three months after I graduated yeah. and yeah that's where I, I I you know that's where I grow my love towards early childhood definitely yeah and so did you work as a kindergarten teacher or was it a room um educator so i'm employed as an early child teacher within like three years old i think back then there's no such thing as three years old kinder Mm -hmm. but i work in like three years old room yeah yeah and so what does that look like for you because uh we know the the challenges and the struggles coming into the sector but you know jumping straight into uh, a teaching position what was that like for you it's challenging for sure but i would say i'm blessed like i have a really good team back then so i think having a supportive team would definitely uh, made a huge difference and <clears throat> i'm very inspired by my director as well she's she's one of the most amazing teacher i've ever seen so you know she has inspired me a lot. She taught me a lot. And I went to a lot of, you know, professional development at the same time. So yeah. that helps me a lot, for yeah. sure. And so what was the challenges? You, you, you mentioned about the challenges. Was it the challenges around? I think behavior, I think mm. classroom, class, uh, classroom management, like, you know, behavior challenges, you know, mm. like three years old, you know, they are in the age of, you know, they, they feel like they, they're old enough, but they're actually not old enough. Yeah, yeah. So, and a lot of them are not toilet trained yet at the same time. So juggling uh, between, you know, being their uh, teacher, but at the same time, you still need to keep up with their routine. So I feel like that's a challenge. And also the, we had a big classroom. So we had like 24 children at that time. So 
sometimes it can be a challenge a challenge to manage you know that that big uh, classroom yeah and how about the teams was it a supportive teams that you had yeah i have it? a really, i had a really supportive team back then and a lot of them they have experience for a couple of years and they actually were willing to help you at the same time so we can, i would say we kind of you know complement each other so it was really really good and you know i feel like i mentally was being supported by them as well and that's really important it makes a Very huge difference good. isn't it when you've got it that is, good team. it makes a huge difference because you know it takes a feeling to raise a child it, it does take a feeling to raise a child so i feel like you know some some days you you may come to work you know emotionally a bit unwell but you know when you know you have a supportive team that you can talk to even you know just chat a bit about you know how's your morning been or how's your weekend been and they can be, you know, your emotional support that makes a huge difference for sure. Yeah. And as a new teacher, as a beginner teacher into the sector, how was it like for you to find that sense of belonging within an organization that, you know, is, you know, it sounds like there's a team culture there, which is fantastic. But what does that look like for you when, you know, going into a new space? Yeah, it was a challenge as well at the same time. So, oh my goodness, I feel like everything was a challenge back then. <laughs> but I remember I was the only Asian in the room. Mm. And, you know, this is my first time, you know, uh, stepping my feet into working, like, working place. Like, all this time when I was in uni, I'm just hanging out with, you know, bunch of international students. We talk the same language, probably have the same cultures. But when we, when I step into that working place, you know, I remember, oh my goodness, I feel like my English uh, wasn't as good. And then, you know, it's just that different culture. You don't feel belong at the same time. Mm. But yeah, I push, like, I push myself, you know, I keep telling myself, you need to get out of your comfort zone and, you know, try to engage uh, with them, try to have a conversation with them, spend, you know, lunch time getting to know each other. And it gets, uh, it gets better. And yeah, after two to three years, I would say I'm quite comfortable hanging out with them. Yeah, but I feel like that's the main challenge, like being the only Asian girl. I was like, oh, and I'm much younger than them as well. Mm. Can be intimidating. <laughs> yeah, of course. And that's something that we find quite common within the sector as well. We've got lots of beginner teachers trying to find, you know, their own sense of teaching identity. And for Absolutely. you, you know, being an international student coming into a new country, you're finding a sense of belonging within the country. And now you need to find a sense of belonging within an, an organization. Um, and on top of that, obviously, your teaching practices. So there's a lot of like a layers of challenges that comes with it yeah yeah absolutely i think especially for me like i'm coming from asian background i remember when when i when i did my kinder years back then when i was a kinder children back then it was a totally different pedagogy it was totally mm. a different uh practices so in the beginning i was like oh am i doing the right thing am i not and then you know you also have to respect you know australian cultures respecting the families at the same time yeah so yeah it's odd yeah well, let's talk about that because um, uh, where are you from? Where are you originally from? Uh, I'm originally from Indonesia. Yeah, so in Indonesia, um, I guess education system is quite similar to Malaysian education system, so I completely relate to you. But thinking back from in your journey, your you know social cultural context of understanding of what the purpose of education looks like, uh, what early childhood uh, context look like from your uh, environment and uh, the environment that you grew in and 
coming into a new country, uh, specifically in Australia, where you know education looks completely different in a lot of ways. Um, what does that look like for your teaching practices? How do you find that balance, and how do you find what works well for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's a huge difference. I think the biggest difference is you know we we really practice play based learning here. Whereas in Indonesia or in Malaysia, I'm pretty sure it's very, you know, <laughs> I think it's about academic, you know, like a lot of my uh, nieces or nephew, they learn like ABC or, you know. What one, is play? One, Even the concept of play? Like, yeah, they don't, yes. yeah, they don't have the understanding, the concept of play, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's the huge difference. And I think the other thing is um, Australian government invests a lot and in looking after children's mental health. I think that's a huge difference as well. In Australia, yeah. You know, and, uh, when we talk about early childhood, it's not about it's not the, even it's not just about their play. You know, it's about their health. It's about their mental health, physical health. So I think play is a big word here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a big thing here. And yeah. I feel like when I first started working, I probably don't even understand what does play based learning actually means. Like, there's a lot of confusion around play based learning. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that? How did you go about discovering what does that look like as a teacher in an early child context in Australia? I read a lot of articles. I think reading is uh, reading helps a lot, and also having conversation with mm-hmm. you know your fellow educators, your colleagues. You know, for those who have practiced in the, in the industry for a long time, I really like to talk with those who have been practicing in the industry for a long time. I know some of them might have you know different perspectives towards you know play-based learning towards early childhood but there's actually so much wisdom that you can learn from them and I know back then a lot of the early child educators they are mother craft nurse mm. so they actually will give you a lot of different perspectives you know in terms of children's health physical health yeah yeah so I think uh, having conversation with you know uh, other early child teachers uh with your directors or just anyone in the industry will, you know, give, will open up your eyes for sure. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of your, I guess, your teaching style, you know, yeah. uh, what does that look like? I feel like my Asian, like my Asian background still influenced me a lot. Mm. So I wouldn't say I'm someone that like to practice, you know, completely free play pedagogy. Like I, I still like to put, I, I don't like the word rules, but I say, I always tell the children we still have boundaries. So, you know, children still need to learn boundaries. Like, you know, that's why they come to early learning centers. I, I wouldn't say, oh, you know, it's completely free. There's no rules in the classroom. You can do whatever you want. Like the society still need, you know, boundaries, certain boundaries that you need to keep. So I would say I love play-based learning, but I also like, you know, some some stuff that uh, I grew up with in Asia, yeah. like uh, like discipline. But obviously, I wouldn't practice as much here. Yeah. But, you know, you can still uh, take the discipline out of it. Like, what does discipline mean? How can we put discipline in Australian context, for example? Mm. That's and in my I, opinion. And I, and I think that's um, important, I guess, that you've highlighted that, you know, that's something that, 
you grew up in in a, in a culture and and that's part of your identity as well right yeah that's part and, of my identity and, and i'm proud of it <laughs> yes oh most definitely that shapes who you are and you know yeah. um, and a lot of knowledge and wealth of experience that has come along mm. in, in in building towards this identity and and obviously those identity really really shapes your pedagogical practices um, Absolutely. you know and and so i think what you've done is that you um, you know, like you mentioned that you uh, through readings and through, um, you know, having lots of conversations, you're really thinking about, all right, what are my values here? What are the things that I can shift and, and, and improve on in, in terms of Australian Absolutely. context? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think keep, keeping your personal values in your teaching is very important. You know, you don't just come, uh, you know, to the sector and then just follow whatever people say. You need to have your own personal philosophy what you believe on, what are your values, and then, you know, finding a place that can also uh, value you, I think that's very important. Yeah. And what does that look like when, you know, we, when you work with people who might have slightly different values to yours, you know, in terms of, say, for example, risky play or messy play, you know, something like that. What does, yeah. you know, how do you encounter those uh, uh, discussions with your team? Yeah, I think we might. Uh, yeah, I think that's a reality. You know, in early childhood, we we would uh, see people from different backgrounds. We all have different view towards certain things. For me, I like I like to tell others based on the facts or based on the research. You know, and then for example, like I love risky play, and I think risky play is very important. I grew up with a lot of risky play, but I know some educators they might have different uh different opinion on it so what i would do sometimes i would point out when the, for example when child a uh climbing the tree i would say oh this child you know uh, he's capable he's he can pull himself up in the tree so i would point the good thing uh out of it and then you know tell the educators and also keep having that open conversations but at the end i know like i still have to respect you know her opinion, her or his opinion. That's why I think finding a center that has similar philosophy with your own philosophy is very important because there's no point if, you know, like if you are someone who loves risky play, but your center won't even support you, they won't even have conversation, then I, obviously it's harder for you to practice your value. Yeah, most definitely, yeah. And do you yeah. feel that, you know, in part of your journey that you've had, gone through at the moment was that um was that a challenge in finding yeah. a, a fit for you definitely so with my first center i feel like because i learned a lot in that center and the first center shapes you know my teaching philosophy so i'm okay with that center but i found it very challenging when i moved to the second center i remember you know for me uh, this is just an example like children don't have to participate in group time like i won't force them even if you want to do if even when i do group time if they don't want to sit in a circle that's okay you can sit far away like like for me that's fine but for me the rules will be you need to be quiet like you need to be respecting you know those who are willing to join group time so even if you want to if this child chose to do their own activity you need to do a quiet activity and I remember like we had another uh, teacher in the room who's, you know, in her opinion, you know, every child should be sitting down in a group time. Uh, you know, every child needs to be quiet. They can't, you know, they can't move 
Oh, you need to be quiet. You need to be sitting down in the mat, like literally in the mat. So yeah, I had a big like conversation. We we argued a lot, but yeah, I, unfortunately at the end we didn't come up to a conclusion. So at the end, I was like, okay, how about you do your own good run, your own group time? I'll do my own good time. That's it. So two choices. That's it. Mm. Because yeah, we just have a very different perspective and. I wouldn't say her perspective is completely wrong, and I wouldn't say my perspective is completely right as well. It's just we have a different view. Yeah, yeah but it's very challenging. It's definitely very, very challenging. Yeah, and it's all yeah. this small little. You know, it might be small. It um, might be small, but, but it's, it's a lot actually. Yeah, it does but play a small. significant role in terms of, you know, you know. I guess also the image of the child, image of the teacher. Of um, yeah, you know how you communicate with children. How you plan the experience yes. is a lot. Yeah, yes. like for me, when I plan experience, you know, the children can choose whether they want to come or not. But obviously, I'm coming from that kind of center as well. But I know a lot of center they don't practice that as well. You know, when they do experience, they do it with twenty children. So you know, it's just different. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is one of the challenges in the sector. Um, and one of the beautiful things as well. Like if we look at the glass, um, how feel is that. You know, we have a framework that is open to interpretation. Uh, yes. You know, it's really about looking at you know uh, how do we build children, how do we build the, you know, the ecological system, and understanding that you know children do learn from a lot of other elements. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and and how do we embrace that as well? How do we embrace that? Yeah, I think we all need to learn to embrace that. You know, seeing the difference as something we should embrace. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and uh, being, I think what you've also highlighted is that you know the conversations to have with, you know, your educators, the team that you have is as long as it's done respectfully, um, and yes, openly and honestly. I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And as long as I guess we are honest with each other, yeah. we build that trusting relationship. I think that's yeah one of the key. Um, yeah, respect each other. To have, yeah, and being a beginner teacher, you know, it sounds that you've had some experience before. Um, in a in your first center, you mentioned before moving into the second center, and you've built on that um repertoire of having those challenging conversations. What are the I guess tips or you know advice that you can give for a beginner teacher who has just started into the sector, found um that they are in this situation similar to yours where they have to have this conversation with their colleagues on the different type of practices, the values of practices. What are your tips and advice around navigating that? Yeah, I think for me, I like to write things down first. Mm. So. When you write things down, maybe write up. You know what are your personal values, but also write up. You know what are the best practice for the children actually. So, because sometimes what what we think is the best is actually not the best for the children. Not absolutely. Like I want the children to sleep like for two hours, but that's probably <laughs> not the best. This is for example. Your mom, you probably can relate with. You know, sometimes they might not need it. Yeah. So I think differentiate what are your personal values. You know, but. What are, what's the best practice for the children? You need to differentiate that. I like to write it down, and also when I'm when I'm, you know, we we all have emotions. You know, we we might get angry sometimes. So when I got angry, I try I try to tell myself, all right, take take a deep breath. You know, maybe go home, have a sleep first, have a think about it again over the weekend, and you can have the conversation with you know the educator. When you when you are calm, because you know when we are still angry or when you are still like 
you know, have hit it, not have that proper conversation with them. And I feel like when you humble yourself, when you say sorry, sometimes it it would help a lot, you know, because, you know, sometimes you just have to put your pride down a little bit, saying, oh, look, so sorry, I didn't mean it that day. Can we talk about it properly? I would say that that would really help, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you also tell the educators who are actually struggling as well, you know, we are we are actually doing this reflection together, but it's just we struggle to see what are the best solutions for the children. Sometimes I will say, oh, look, how about, how about we try it first? If it doesn't work, then you, you're probably right, you know, we can go back again. Yeah. So sometimes it's also, I feel like a matter of word, like how you word it. Mm, yeah. That's a yeah. good so point. Yeah. yeah, so don't say, you know, oh, the book says this is the best, you know, book is book, theory is theory, practical, practice is practice is different. And yeah. I think one one point that you've highlighted is the way how we, do, we deliver feedback. It's so yeah, important. Yeah, deliver feedback. Yeah. Reflection. And, I think yeah. sometimes I think sometimes we all don't get what does reflection means. You know, mm. reflection doesn't mean just pointing what what what's the problem in the classroom. Like you need to position yourself. You are also part of the classroom. So what are my problems? Like you know, what am I struggling with as well? Yeah, yeah. And and you're right. I think we. You know, the, the, the word reflection have been, you know, thrown around quite loosely now. Oh, yes, I've done reflection. I've thought about yeah, it. And this yeah. is my decision, you know. Yeah. Like, hang on, like, re- reflection sometimes doesn't have to have an answer to it. And like yes. you said, let's no. give it a try. Let's be open about it. Let's take this as a journey together. Yes. It's yeah. about trial and error. You know, you reflect on your life. You know, when we say, oh, you know, I reflect on, on my life, but that, that, that it doesn't mean you have an answer to it. Sometimes it, you may not come to an answer for years or for months. And it's very, I think it's very normal that you don't, come up with an answer straight away. It's a lot of trial and error, trial and error. It might work for one day, but you know, next day it might not work. It depends. It's it's very complicated, you know, in early childhood. Sometimes it depends on the classroom, it depends on the educators, it depends on the teams. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of uh, other factors as well. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's very complex layers that comes I mean, it's with very it. complex, yeah. 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 Sometimes I got offended when people say, oh, you know, you just work in the childcare. I was oh, like, don't get oh. me started. <laughs> I got really pissed off. I'm so sorry. Because, you know, it's yeah. more than that. It's very, very complex. It's a very complex industry. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, you've you've shared all the things that you've grown and, you know, you've reflected on the journey that you've had. What has yeah. teaching taught you? What have you learned from teaching? I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, I think the best part of being a teacher is you learn a lot about yourself mm. you learn about career about your what you like what you don't like you learn about your career as well i think after three years of teaching i learned that i'm i like to deal with the parents more than i deal with the, the whole classroom sometimes which is quite funny yeah so I, I mean i love dealing with children but not in a big group so i, I like to you know deal with children in a in a much smaller group and also deal with the parents. Because sometimes it's hard, you know, you do one thing at kinder, but if the parents don't do the same thing or you are not in the same pace with the parents, it's actually bringing a lot of confusion for the children as well. Yeah. 
but I discovered a lot of, about myself as well after doing years of teaching. You know, I have discovered I'm not the most patient person for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so I else? think you know, if you're a new early child teachers or educators, you know, embrace yourself. You know, think about this. This is this is actually a really beautiful job because I think not many jobs will let you reflect on yourself. Mm. You know, reflect on you know what you like, what you don't like, actually. Yeah, yeah, because we know that yeah, our you know what we believe in really shapes on um and and who we are really shapes our are, practices yeah. as well. So unless you're comfortable with packing that you know your your perspective and where your I guess you know your identity, what does that look like? Then you'll be able to put that into practice and you yeah, know, you'll be absolutely. able to grow. Yeah, so you have to grow within yourself. That's what I always believe. Yeah, you have to, to grow, grow with yourself. Yeah, as well. I children. think as a teacher, it's very important to have you know your to have that open mindedness. Mm. You, you need to tell yourself that you you probably don't know everything until even if you practice for fifty years, you probably don't know everything. There's still a lot to learn, and I think education industry is changing every single day. Like it's changing every single day. You know, the something that we practiced fifty years ago might not. You know, might not applicable nowadays. You know, fifty years ago, uh, we can do time out, but nowadays is time out really good. You know, there's a lot of research. You know, saying about oh, what's the pros and cons about time out, and I think keep updating ourselves is very, very important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. we know that we spoke a lot about challenges, and and you mentioned you know there were a <laughs> lot of challenges you know in your journey. But you know what? What what does self care look like for you to be able to maintain that reflective practice? You need to really look after yourself. Um, what do you do for self care? Yeah, I think be kind to yourself is mm. very important. I think a lot of us we push ourselves a lot. Like oh, you know, if you know this one day you had a you know bad uh, you have a had conversation with your colleagues and it didn't turn well, you know, we would blame ourselves. Oh, you know. Uh, I fail in this, but you know sometimes it's okay. It's okay to be to fail at times. So it's alright. I think keep telling yourself it's okay. You know, if you don't do well today, it's okay. You can try again tomorrow. You know, even sometimes I raise my bones in front of the chin. I was oh my god, I feel really, really, really bad. Like oh, I shouldn't do that. But you know what? Tell yourself you didn't mean that. You know, and just apologize to the children and you know tell yourself they actually would forgive you as well. And for me, I like to treat myself. <laughs> so yeah, if I have done, uh, for example, the, the, uh, this week uh, I've been a hard week. I would treat myself on the weekend. You know, go for a massage, had a sleep in. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna even, I'm not even do, I'm not gonna even do any exercise today. I'm just gonna sleep. You know, do what I like. And I think this sounds weird, but I would say working four days might make a huge difference than five days. You know, having a bit of break in the middle it helps a lot. It helps yeah, a lot. Most definitely, yeah. yeah. Just to give yourself a bit of a pause as well. Yeah, and sometimes when you rest well, you actually would shine better as well at work. You know, you would perform well at at work so rather than you know pushing yourself too much. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, you probably don't perform as well. No, because you feel burnout, you feel exhausted, you feel and you get frustrated, yeah. and that impacts other you know people, the children. Um, you know your tone, like you said. So yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Makes- and when you burn out, you you can't think things clearly. Sometimes no. when you are unwell, you can't think things clearly. You know, think like 
even simple things, you would think, oh my goodness, it's such a big thing. It's actually something simple, but because you're unwell, you would thought, oh, you, you, you're easily overwhelmed. Yeah, stuff. yeah, you're right. And yeah, burnout, uh, I've met with many educators who, you know, don't get that uh, that break. And I think that's one thing to highlight as well, like within our sector, as much as the teachers do get school holidays, but they work continuously full time. For, yeah. for you know a um, couple of months before the term ends and yes. sometimes to the very end we find that teachers do get that burnout at the end because they don't have that moment of pause and be, no, moment of break um, in comparison to perhaps educators who have adios you know where they get a day oh, or fortnight so yeah. you know teachers who work full-time five days a week for a whole term and, and a whole term goes on for a few months um, yeah. It can be quite um, exhausting, mentally, physically exhausting, you know, having those opportunities of break and pause. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, mentally, physically. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us can relate, you know, your your job doesn't stop when you when you leave the center. You Not think about all. it. Sometimes I think about, oh, my goodness, I need to bring that baking soda for tomorrow. <laughs> yes. For example, you would think, oh, how is it going to look like tomorrow? Or, you know, what should I do tomorrow? And sometimes you can't do it in the center because then you need to engage with the children, you know, you need to sit down, you need to do this and that. You only have time to plan for certain stuff after you finish work, actually. So, you know, our job doesn't finish. Our job is not 9 to 5 job. I would say our job is yeah. maybe 27 jobs. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And the moment you step into Kmart, all hell break loose because you got your teacher's hat on and you're like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. That's a good book. Oh, I, sh- I can use this as a resource. Yeah. And, you know, it just goes. It's yeah. yeah. It's your life. Like, your job is your life. Like. Yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And when you're feeling really like lost, um, I guess in your own teaching practices, you're starting to feel doubts within yourself. Is this the right path? Am I doing the right thing for the children? Am I doing yeah. the right thing for myself? What do you do in those situations? I personally, I got burned out a lot last year as mm. well. So uh, my mom passed away suddenly and it's a big, like it's a big turnover in my life. I got, yeah. uh, we are building a new center. So it's a lot to do. And I got really burned out. I, question myself all the time like is this the right pathway for me is it the right thing for me but at the end i chose to i wouldn't say give up but i say uh, i chose to take a bit of break so mm. i stepped into casual and at first i thought it's gonna be the worst decision in my life like oh my goodness i'm only 28 and i've already started working as a castle whereas people still going up you know still growing in their job but you know, sometimes take a step back doesn't mean you're not growing. So I take a step back. I actually start to see things from different perspectives because I have more time for myself, you know, I have more break. And fortunately, when you work as a casual, yes, your job finishes when you leave the center. Like it's different when you are a kinder teacher or when you're a room leader, then it keeps going. So yeah, I take a step back and I rethink what I really like in early childhood. Because, you know, early child industry is such a big industry, you know, we talked about it earlier. So I I reflect a lot, you know what 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 I enjoyed the most uh, being a teacher. I enjoyed working with the families. That's I think that's the best part of working in early childhood. So for me back then, I I tried to see all oh, what are the other opportunities. I write down what I really like, what I can, what I like, and what I can do. So don't be disheartened, you know. Like having a degree in early childhood opens up a lot of opportunities, and you know it's not. It's not a job that everyone can do, I would say. In my personal opinion, everyone can do an office work, office job. Everyone can write an email. 
but not everyone can deal with children. It's it's a skill. It's it's a skill, and a lot of the skill you can't learn from school. It's your personality, you know, your own upbringing and stuff. So yeah, I take a step back. I started working as a casual, and I really like it. You know, I support. I see the classroom from different perspective, and also start seeing. Oh, you know, how can I utilize my degree, my qualification, my experience in early childhood to support more families and do what I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I think that's true. And I read somewhere. Um, I should know who said this. To be able to recognize that. You know, and and the example you've given that you've resigned from a permanent position into a casual position, you may feel that you have failed something. Yeah. But to be able to kind of realize that actually, this is what I need for my for my own self care, so that yeah. you can grow. You are making room yeah. to grow because you have already stretched yourself so thin. That there is no room. You're on overcapacity, and by able to recognize that within yourself, is amazing. Ah, uh, you you you're so attuned with yourself that you've actually recognized that, and you know, and it's so powerful. I think. Um, but also we learn through those journey, and I remember when I work as a casual, <laughs> I've learned so much about my teaching practices, about who I am. How I wanna be treated, or how should I treat, you know, educators who come in casually as well? Like I was yes. working for agency, and the perspective that I have um, was so rich in comparison to when I actually was working permanently at one job. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. When I started working as a casual, and you worked in different room, like mm-hmm. you would see, ah, you. I actually had more reflection after that. Yeah. Definitely. You see things at once, at once, at once, and then yeah. you start to pick things up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. sometimes taking a step back doesn't mean that you know. No. You are, you are, you know, you are failing on something, or you, yeah, you're stepping, you're moving back, you're not progressing. Yeah, but actually, no, there's a lot learning that come with it. Yeah, and I've learned how to really value casual educators that yeah. come through the center. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. yeah, and and I think that's also really powerful. That I think yeah, they are not. Um, Recognized enough casuals uh, educators that come through on a short period of time. So yeah, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're towards the end. This is fantastic. I wish that we can actually speak uh, for a really long time. But you know, one advice that you you would tell your beginning teacher self. You know, I know it's only a few years ago, but what would that advice be on that first, perhaps the first few days, stepping in a lot of anxiety. And you know, being uh, faced by a lot of challenges that you mentioned,、um, yeah. You know, what advice would you tell yourself? I would say, don't get disheartened easily. You know,、uh, the future is awaiting for you. Don't give up easily. Be kind to yourself. I think it's hard, you know, to practice be kind to yourself. It's easier to be kind to others rather than be kind、mm-hmm. to yourself. So start to think, how can you be kind to yourself? You know. And also looking after yourself. Remember that the children need a mentally well, the best version of you. So that's probably the best thing you could have done for the children as well. And never stop learning. You know, keep hum- uh, be humble. Uh, have an open mind. Learn from other educators. Yeah, I would say that's 
probably a few tips from me. Yeah, not one but many. <laughs> not one but many. Yeah, and, and yeah. I really love what you said that, you know, being the best version for yourself is the best thing that you can do as a teacher for children. Yeah, I think, absolutely. Yeah, that definitely should be quoted on a Hall of Fame because I just think that we don't talk enough about the importance of looking after our own mental health within the teaching profession um, and how it really shapes the children. Uh, you know, the, and if they see that, you know, we look after ourselves, they get to, you, you're normalizing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes if you, if you reflect, you know, on your childhood, you would say, you would, you would think the best part is, you know, when you have an adult who's happy, mm-hmm. who's willingly to play with you, you know, who's, who's not burned out, you know, it's like when I was a child, I remember the best part is when I see my mom happy. So I'm pretty sure it's the same with the children in our classroom. They would, they would want to see the best part of ourselves yeah. you know, when we are happy when we are willing to play with them, when we are not grumpy. Yeah, yeah. and that we're present, you know, we're there, present, fully yeah, yeah, focused. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Joanne, for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure and, you know, the the journey and the story that you have really resonates with me and I can imagine it resonates with other people as well. Um, and I hope that, you know, they're inspired by your journey. So thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Dee, for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting Through Early Education. If you like our episodes and have any feedback or you would like to share your teaching journey with us, we love to hear from you. And you can contact us by following our Instagram page by searching Teaching Journey Podcast. Please see the episode show notes for links to resources of our guest speakers.